Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the, the drive to boost the wealth management industry and attract more family offices to the city. The Academy for Wealth Legacy, due to be launched tomorrow, is one of the latest uh, initiatives uh, at a time of increased competition from other regional centres such as Singapore. Through a range of networking opportunities and talent development programmes, the Academy will seek to enhance Hong Kong's role as an international hub that attracts wealthy family business from around the globe. Chaired by New World Development uh, Chief Executive Adrian Cheng, the board will be composed of uh, cross-sector representatives from fields including banking, academia and the law. To what extent can this help Hong Kong further sharpen its competitive edge and how well poised are we to take full advantage of the economic rise of the East? After 9.45, we'll talk golf with the organisers of the 62nd Hong Kong Open, which uh, concluded uh, yesterday with a victory for New Zealander Ben Campbell. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page at Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233 233-88-266. Joining us now on the line is uh, Andy Kwan, Director of the ACE Centre for Business and Economic Research. Good morning to you. Good morning. And in our Admiralty studio, uh, Inaki Amate, Chairman of the European Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you both uh, for joining us. Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps uh, Andy, if we can uh, just start with you. Uh, let me put that question to you then. Uh, I mean, how well positioned are we to take uh, advantage of the uh, potential for attracting uh, more family offices and, uh, and boosting up the wealth management business? Well, um, to me, it's kind of like a late start. I think the main reason is Hong Kong has been an international financial center. For now, I think it's relegated to only a financial center. So the government needs to uh, boost the uh, the financial center, the status, and uh, by introducing such a new endeavor, uh, I think to establish like uh, some kind of family uh, of, uh, office hub in Hong Kong is a welcome addition. Especially nowadays, you are, there are many, many uh, wealthy families in um, in Asia, and uh, given the uh, the environment right now, and uh, it's necessary for Hong Kong to catch up and try to uh, add more addition to the new financial to, to the financial center, and uh, this, establishing such an academy in the, is a is a good attempt, and uh, I believe uh, Hong Kong has many advantages. Uh, to, to secure such a status to to become a financial uh, family office hub in the sense that uh, we have already been uh, like a very uh, like a financial center and uh, as well as we have many uh, good talents uh, especially we have the free uh, fund flow flowing in and out from Hong Kong easily and uh, in this way I think uh, it's a good attempt to do it and uh, that remains to be seen how well we can do in this aspect right why, why is the competition so keen for family offices <clears throat> taking a step back and a broader perspective why are we sort of at daggers drawn with uh, singapore and other competitors well uh, i think for the past uh, 13 
to 15 years, we looked at the financial crisis. And after that, uh, because of super low um, uh, interest environment, and that benefits a lot of wealthy families. They make a lot of money. They've been making big bucks in uh, in the financial sector. So in this case, you observe that there are more and more and more financial uh, wealthy families in Asia and also in uh, in China. So in this case, it's uh, kind of like, uh, uh, like uh, we call it like a, well, a good piece of meat there. <laughs> we we try to catch, and uh, in this case, uh, we are like uh, like um, we want the, the piece of action, and uh, also in the, in the, in that sense. So we look at uh, Singapore, look at uh, even Switzerland, little, little, uh, Hong Kong, and uh, we all want to take a piece of action there. And we try to cash in uh, those opportunities, especially given nowadays there are more and more which families they want to establish uh, their own uh, financial offices to manage wealth and also look up after certain like uh, uh, tax uh, tax stuff. And uh, I think the main thing is like everyone wants to make money, and uh, notwithstanding those rich families, in this case, I think uh, since they have money in their pool. And in this uh, aspect, and uh, so that's why we all jump in the, uh, this kind of a uh, sector and try to get a piece of action. So, so uh, Inyaki Amate, so uh, John Lee, the chief executive, set a, a target of 200 new family offices by 2025. Is uh, international business looking forward to a piece of that action? Uh, absolutely. I mean, we, we think that um, bringing this kind of... Uh, players into Hong Kong is not just um, something that helps to attract investors and attract companies that are willing to get um, a piece of the business like um, we were hearing before, but it's also an opportunity to generate um, jobs. It's an opportunity to attract talent from abroad. It's an opportunity to uh, invest in growth by um, you know, building new businesses, invest, investing in, business, in businesses. And of course, um, uh, we are definitely welcoming any initiative that helps us to boost a little bit the international business community here in Hong Kong. Are the spin-off spin effects attractive in terms of extra work for lawyers, accountants and so on? Absolutely. <clears throat> a lot of these uh, family offices rely on third-party professional services for helping them to establish the establish the operations, look at after um, operations of mergers and acquisitions, and um, eventually, if they start being interested in being in Hong Kong, it's because they are looking into expanding their businesses into this part of the world, into this region. Again, that helps Hong Kong to reposition more as a regional hub, uh, something that over the last years we've been seeing decreasing gradually. And we are very keen to see that position coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, Andy Kwan, from what you were saying earlier, yeah, it sounds like you would agree with that, that we've f- fallen behind a little bit in the uh, international uh, sense. So uh, so is this uh, yeah. initiative, is, is this going to help us to recover? Well, it's one of uh, the ways we can uh, strengthen uh, we can improve uh, our our status as a as an as a financial center. I will not say uh, international financial center. Uh, we have been uh, losing uh, talents in that respect, and we have been losing uh, capital uh, from the uh, from the U.S. market. Okay, from the U.S. Uh, investors that we all see that, and uh, I think it's uh, 
kind of like a way to try to strengthen our ability right now and try to attract uh, more money coming to Hong Kong and then to attract more cu uh, customers, to attract more talents. Uh, particularly like uh, in this, uh, uh, in, uh, nowadays we look at uh, our key com competitor, okay, Singapore, they're trying to get everything we have right now. So we have to fight back. So in this case, I, as a, I would do it, I would do try to like uh, start um, like, uh, this kind of business, uh, try to attract more family offices to Hong Kong since they have money. And uh, given their money, then uh, from the beginning, their money, then you attract more money to Hong Kong and you can create more businesses. Uh, Hong Kong is a very vibe, has a very vibrant financial market and also has uh, many, many talents. But uh, unfortunately, given the environment right now, we have uh, kind of like had um, so called headwinds ahead. So uh, luckily, like uh, since there will be a meeting between um, Chairman Job and uh, also like by Biden, uh, so hopefully there will be something uh, good. Uh, there will be some good news coming up from that meeting, and uh, along the way we have to do our job. We have to find ways to strengthen our market, try to uh, catch up. So in this case, uh, I think establishing the uh, family offices is a good thing to be uh, as a good beginning. But we still have uh, many things to do in order to get back uh, the old customers back uh, to Hong Kong market. Right. Can I ask you what um, the concessions that we've made on on taxes and the creation of this new academy is this enough to make us competitive? I mean, wow, well, like. Uh, our main competitiveness comes from we are the gateway to China. We're like a gateway. But um, but China is not the same China before, okay? It's because of the Thai uh, relationship with the U.S. Okay, we all know that. But China has a very big market. China has very, very, uh, has many rich families there. So in this case, uh, there are many opportunities in China. So that is the main strength we have right now. Uh, in terms of like the tax advantages, we have to be competitive enough to attract customers for sure. Uh, if you look at the profit tax, we're not the lowest, uh, but we can do a little bit more about the uh, profit tax. At the same time, we can uh, look at a number of uh, uh, things we can strengthen our tax system, okay? So in this case, uh, there are room to improve, but there are certain ways to uh, attract more money to Hong Kong. Uh, uh, the one thing is, uh, once you set up the uh, when, once we become a financial uh, family office hub in Hong Kong, uh, Hong as a family office hub, then automatically right away you we really rich, you can attract uh, money from those rich families. Okay, mm -hmm. you can look at the big uh, uh, you can look, look at the Bill Gates, look at Zuckerberg, you look at uh, <laughs> those people. They got a lot. They got tons of money. But at the same time, in uh, Asia, we are catching up. We are right. more uh, wealthy people there. Inaki, are we attractive enough? Um, <clears throat> I think well, we... we're losing. No, sorry. Let's let Inaki Amate answer that one first. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Okay. I, I agree to the extent that I mean Hong Kong still is a very interesting and relevant place for um, investors, not just family offices, but investors because the geographical uh, position and the relationship with towards China. However. If we want to compete with other places like Singapore or even the Middle East at this point, um, we need to actually learn how the others are actually competing against us. And I think that's one of the things that we, I think we are missing. I think we are missing a little bit more of 
understanding what the others are doing, what kind of mechanisms they are introducing, and what kind of techniques or tactics they are using. Um, from what I have heard from our colleagues in Singapore, the, um, the, the Singaporean government is very assertive and is very much um, driving an initiative to attract not only um, family offices but investors by um, driving it like a business. So really using business development um, in their mindset, in the way they are trying to attract people to go to Singapore. And that means that they, they go beyond the civil servants mindset and they go into thinking more like in the private sector, how do you attract people? How do you make, some, make sure that you give them incentives that are going to be interesting enough for them to consider? And more importantly, these people, um, the family offices, like any investor, what they are going to do is they are going to use an Excel and they are going to start comparing what are the incentives that they are I'm getting from this region versus that region. And in the end, they are going to make a very um, data-driven data decision about which one is the best one. I think we need mm -hmm. to basically start thinking a little bit like that if we want to really start attracting people. The, the, the tax concessions here that Mike uh, referred to just now, I mean, they, they're quite significant, aren't they? So uh, uh, profits tax of 16.5% up to uh, generated from uh, global stocks and bonds and other uh, types of investments, uh, uh, they're, they're waived for family offices, aren't they? So, that, so, so presumably that that's, must be quite a big help in, uh, in attracting them to set up here. I would imagine so, for sure. But at the end of the day, it's a sum of things. You also need to think about um, elements that are also on the soft side that you need to also quantify, which is how easy it is, for example, to establish here if you want to bring here uh, staff, um, how is this going to be to attract the talent here? Um, we've been talking about that for quite a while already. But yes, you, you put all that in the mix and you start thinking whether you are going to be able to uh, consider this versus the other. The other thing that we need to take into consideration is that a lot of these family offices, they have already decided, they have already established in, in this part of the world, in Singapore. How do we actually convince them to move from Singapore to here? Very difficult. Once you establish in, in a place, you probably want to wait a few years before you start deciding moving to another place, right? Or have an additional family office. Or, yes, that could be. <laughs> to what extent do you think the geopolitical environment is going to shape these decisions? We're saying we're close to China, but for some people that might be a disincentive. Well, I, I, I believe that definitely weights in the decisions, but I'm becoming more positive and more optimistic. Last, week's, last week we started to see some signals that uh, there, there is some movements towards... Um, willingness to reestablish a dialogue between blocs. Uh, uh, we are starting to see, finally, leaders from both parties willing to sit down and talk. Um, I want to believe that, I mean, we are starting to, be, to see a bit of a change in the trend that we have seen in the last years. Hmm. Andy? Yes. The geopolitical um, environment, is that um, going to be a big uh, factor? That, that's a, that, yeah, uh, that's an impediment here. But uh, we have to be uh, hopeful in that respect because uh, at least uh, the two big leaders are going to meet this uh, this week. Hopefully they can sit down 
and do some uh, agreement, work out some agreements and make the uh, tension between the between two countries to be less, to be lower. But I think the good thing going back to the uh, government to establish the uh, the Hong Kong Academy for World Legacy, I think it's a good attempt in this way because government has no experience whatsoever dealing with family business, dealing with a family office. They need certain experts in this field to uh, to have the so-called to have a, uh, in, to have the, the start the, the initial step. So by look at the uh, those members, as especially we look at the chairman Adrian Jiang, and uh, I understand the child type of family has uh, family offices, uh, as family office, and also uh, Adrian has his own uh, family office. So so you need veteran in the field to shed light on uh, on this issue and to lead. Uh, Hong Kong to go to move to some kind of family uh, hubs. So by looking at those members, uh, I'm hopeful in that respect. But uh, but whether they have enough time really to dedicate to the to the academy, that that's another thing because they are all busy busy people. Okay, but by uh, by appointing those people, at least we have a veteran in this field, and uh, hopefully they can. Understand the uh, the gravity of the situation. Understand the main elements of the issue here. So I think the main thing is we have to be aggressive. We have to be aggressive towards uh, Singapore. We have to really fight with Singapore hard and try to nail them. So because they are very aggressive to us, so we have to do the same thing. We learn from the we learn the main points. We learn the strength. So as uh, the gentleman just said, uh, we got to know how to fight the fight the game. We try to establish a connection with Middle East. I understand uh, at the U, the um, the uh, Hong Kong MA, uh, uh, chief, okay. Yeah, uh, uh, authority, has, yeah. Uh, many, many, yeah. Eddie, Eddie has uh, many, many trips to Middle East, okay. Try to uh, establish more tighter relationship between uh, mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia and Hong Kong and try to get more deals. Uh, but it's a long way to go, but somehow we need to start. And uh, I think we are on the right path. And hopefully, we, uh, those uh, so called the academy uh, people, can really uh, lead. Hong Kong to become uh, one of the main fa- fa- uh, family office hubs, okay? But uh, at the end of the day, we still have to uh, uh, really dedicate to this effort. But somehow, mm-hmm. you just cannot just sit on sit on this kind of issue and then just uh, have the academy and then just talk and no action and no 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 result eventually. Uh, then I don't want to see it. Well, I think in fairness, we should say that Invest Hong Kong has a dedicated team. Um, many, mm. most of them, I think, are non-civil servants. Uh, going mm. to Inaki's point about the mindset issue, which I think is totally mm. valid. Um, and mm. I did hear the uh, lady concerned on the money talks program. I think last week, uh, talking about mm. so there is private sector uh, mindset in Invest Hong Kong, even though it is a government department. Um, I think they've got to work with Adrian and, and back up the academy and see what we can do to be, be become competitive and stay competitive. And, agree, agree, agree. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah. Uh, go on, uh, go on. Sure. W- would you like to uh, comment on that, uh, Inyaki Amati? No, I, I agree. I mean, I think that we are starting to see a little bit of a ch- change of mindset in the government. Um, I, If we don't do that, I mean, the... The, you know, we, we are not only going to be competing with um, um, with Singapore. I, I was last week in Beijing um, on a delegation visiting some of the um, key governmental offices, and 
And, you know, at the end of the day, um, yes, Hong Kong is going to play a very re relevant play um, in, in the mindset of the, uh, of the Chinese authorities. But um, at the same time, they see that Hong Kong needs to earn its, um, its ground, not only just in the region, but also with uh, other cities in China. So Shanghai, um, um, Beijing, Shenzhen, they all are going to try to get a piece of um, whatever is uh, the economic drive of the moment, and um, you know, but they not? they don't have a convertible currency, though, do they? And that's the main advantage that Hong Kong has to play. Yeah. Yes, and I think the the fourteenth five year plan and uh, various remarks by President Xi have been quite clear. Hong Kong, this is your job. Um, Get on with it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Given us our marching yeah, orders. Get, get more. Get, basically, get moving. Okay, and uh, moving ahead. I agree because and uh, with uh, along with the the pack currency, also that's a uh, so-called the the money flowing in and out Hong Kong freely. That's the main point in in China. You can't do it. So uh, always uh, you you have to be careful. You know, no, the money is not that easy. But uh, Hong Kong does a free flow. So I think that's the main, uh, main thing why the Chinese government, uh, mainland wants Hong Kong to be the front runner in this uh, so-called family office business. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's only Hong Kong, uh, it was only uh, so-called the Hong Kong. as a special administrative uh, uh, region uh, in China and that can deliver this job here. Uh, uh, just going back to the sort of uh, this sort of perennial rivalry between uh, Hong Kong and uh, Singapore. I mean, we've got here in Hong Kong, we've got um, uh, a revamped uh, version of the capital investment entrance scheme. Now you can, uh, if you invest thirty million dollars, you can get uh, permanent <laughs> residence in seven years. Well, it and, doesn't and include. Uh, value of your property, I think. Well, uh, that, well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, in, investments in certain um, um, assets and and stocks and so on. I mean, I mean um, would anybody like to compare the uh, the the Hong Kong scheme with that of Singapore? I was I was reading over the weekend that Singapore scheme is r rather more complicated. Yeah, I don't know the details uh, of both, maybe. Mm. But but what I understood is that uh, also Singapore had to revisit that scheme over the last couple of years because the massive affluence of uh, people willing to go and take advantage of it that actually started to put a challenge or pressure in some other um, elements of the economy. Right, the real estate um, um, the, the real estate prices went up and the local population was complaining right. about it. Right, so there were political mm -hmm. pressures. Against that, in, in a sense, you give too many concessions Correct. or make people too welcome, uh, you can upset yeah. your native population. Uh, I think in yeah, Singapore, because they have the elections, that's got to be a real issue. Definitely. Uh, I think, uh, anyway, like, uh, I think the main thing is uh, the... Um, we do, we do have to compete with Singapore, but we do have to compete with other countries like Canada. And, uh, and other countries, they all want to get uh, the wealthy people coming to their to their to their different countries here. So, but but I think it's, it's a scheme that can attract uh, a certain wealthy uh, people. Or I, but to this to 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 some extent, I think the main thing Hong should focus on is uh, the the shrinking population uh, in this respect, and also their so-called the uh, brain drain problem. So 
in by introducing the family office, uh, making Hong as a family office hub, that would be a good thing because you start up, uh, you open your arm, you attract people and uh, more talented people uh, in financial sector. And once you do it, you create more opportunities for Hong Kong and something like demand driven, demand driven here. So also to some extent, on the other hand, is a supply driven. You supply certain things. If once the market is satisfied with the supply, they come here. So it's up to us whether we can deliver the job. We can make it like uh, a successful job here. But uh, uh, my experience is like uh, my experience is don't keep the hope so high uh, initially. So we still have this way and see to see uh, how much effort carried out by the uh, academy and how much effort carried out by the government. The so-called joint attempt by them. Uh, and, and if they can do a job, then it's a good thing. If they can't deliver, that that was sad ending. Okay. All right. Well, it's just coming up to 9.30. We'll have to say uh, thanks very much uh, to Andy Kwan there, Director of the ACE Centre for Business and Economic Research. Uh, uh, Inaki Amate is going to uh, stay with us uh, a bit longer. We're going to take a short break uh, for the news. Uh, just before we do, um, um, quick uh, email here from uh, listener Hugh says, uh, uh, guest hit nail on head. Civil servant mindset is the heart of all problems in Hong Kong. Cut through this for Hong Kong to reach its potential. Yes, I think that was a, I think that was a, a reference to what you were saying, uh, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, mm. I, I would come back to that after the news, maybe. Mm. Sure. OK. Uh, quick uh, look uh, at the weather. Dry with sunny periods. Uh, cooler in the morning uh, and at night. Uh, the outlook, uh, uh, more of the same, it looks like. Uh, winds uh, strengthening from the north in the latter part of the week and it will be very dry with temperatures falling to around 18 degrees uh, in the mornings. It's currently 22 degrees, humidity 66%. New summary with Carol Musgrave. The World Health Organization says it's restored contact with staff at the Al-Shifa Hospital in northern Gaza, where thousands of people are reportedly trapped. The Director General of the WHO, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, said on social media the situation remained dire, with constant fighting and bombing in the area. The US military says five of its servicemen died in a helicopter crash in the eastern Mediterranean on Friday. Washington has increased its operations in the region since the outbreak of hostilities around Gaza. And the former Canadian fashion mogul Peter Nygaard has been found guilty of four counts of sexual assault. The jury in Toronto acquitted the 82-year-old of one count of sexual assault and one of forcible confinement. Prosecutors said he'd used his wealth and power to lure women to his Toronto office building where they'd end up in his private bedroom suite. The women testified that the assaults took place between the late 1980s and 2005. I'll have more in the news at 10. People who are patriotic and have an affection for Hong Kong and who are capable and aspire to serve can make our community better. The 2023 District Council Ordinary Election is on December 10th. Remember to bring your identity card and vote for your preferred candidate. Let's build a nice and harmonious community together. Cast your vote at DC Election for a better community. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 and have your say. 
And welcome back to Back Chat with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould, and we're going to continue our main discussion uh, this morning, which is about the uh, potential for uh, Hong Kong's wealth management uh, industry and the uh, the drive to attract more family offices to uh, to move here and set up here. Uh, we have with us Inyaki Amate, Chairman of the European Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong, and also now joining us on the line, Winnie Peng, um, adjunct. Uh, Associate Professor and Director of the Roger King Centre for uh, Asian Family Business and Family Office at the University of Science and Technology. Good morning to you. Morning. Morning, Jing. Thank you very much uh, for joining us, uh, Winnie Peng. So uh, we were talking uh, before the news break uh, about the new academy that's uh, uh, due to start up uh, from tomorrow. Um, um, how, how much of a help is this going to be to, uh, uh, to the development of Hong Kong's uh, wealth management sector? Okay, if you're asking me, okay, I... Uh the wealth management industry to me is actually already a very mature industry in the financial centers around the world so but family offices are really on the top of the wealth pyramid which is the niche market that is waiting to be developed so i believe the newly established wealth academy if designed well enough could help to nurture different kinds of talents to provide better services and advice to family offices, not just financial talents for sure. And I'm very happy to see that Professor Roger King, the founding director of our center, is appointed as one of the eight board of directors and Indeed. the only representative from academia. Mm. So he and I actually have been focusing on research and teaching of family office for more than a decade would be very delighted to support Hong Kong government on this uh, new initiative. So do we need to, uh, special, uh, you know, specialized talents for uh, managing family offices? Of course. Okay. In fact, uh, if you're asking me what are the differences between Hong Kong and Singapore, one uh, you know, key difference is really, you know, that most people, I believe, didn't realize is Hong Kong has greater amount of old family businesses, which are already in control by the second or third or later generations, mm. which we'll call old wells. Okay, so the old wells, actually, they have uh, different expectations on the role of family offices, not just simply financial roles, but uh, I think more importantly, it's non-financial roles. So for the talents, definitely not just financial talent in the city, but we need to nurture more talents that can serve better role as you know non-financial aspect for the family offices for example family governance family philanthropy impact investing all different kind of roles that you know uh, the talents could play a role in that yes. um before the news and and you joined us there was a lot of talk about um a civil service mindset and we were getting to invest inv one of the features of Invest Hong Kong is, in fact, the majority of the staff, the frontline staff, are not civil servants. So the question then, I think, is getting the mindset, uh, making sure that the rest of the government understands that and the senior people in Invest Hong Kong uh, maintain that. And when Donald uh, asked me to set it up in the year 2000, um, he made it clear it mustn't look like a government department. It must look like a high-class private sector consultancy uh, in every respect. So I, 
I tried to do that in the, in the first opening years. Mm. This was Donald Jung when Don he was financial secretary. Correct. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, and we should for any of the listeners who don't know. So Mike was the the first director general yeah, of Invest yes, Hong I was. Kong. Yes, yeah, yeah. among my many sins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Uh, just in terms of uh, of uh, wealth. Uh, coming into the city, I mean, there's, there's some pretty positive uh, uh, comments in the past uh, uh, few days. The CEO of J.P. Morgan's uh, Asia Private Banking Unit says uh, says Hong Kong's well positioned to manage the, the lion's, lion's share of uh, wealth uh, in the region. Uh, uh, Noel Quinn. HSBC Group CEO talked uh, last week at the Bankers Conference about uh, about funds from the mainland coming into Hong Kong at a, a, a much faster rate. So um, I, I know Andy Kwan before the break was saying, let's not be too optimistic. But uh, but, 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 but how, how do you feel uh, in Akia Mate? Are you, are you, uh, are, is Hong Kong in a better place now than it was before? Yes, I think so. <clears throat> I mean, I think this uh, inflow of uh, investment coming from from China that we have seen in the last months could also be um, due to the current circumstances in mainland China, right? So I think that is at the moment a, um, a moment in the history where the, the consumers are seeing for the first time that the growth is not uh, guaranteed and, uh, and they are starting to think about what, what alternatives they have to invest in uh, real estate, which was traditionally one of the main areas where they used to invest. So coming to Hong Kong is probably one of the um, options that they have considered. I think that China will continue to grow, probably not at the pace we have seen, and eventually that will drive growth in, in, in Hong Kong as well. Um, I think we are better positioned not only because um, we are close to China. We are actually, we, we have already, like uh, uh, Winnie was explaining before, um, a well-established um, wealth center. And we have also several family offices that have several generations. But I think we are also well-placed because we are in a, a part of the world that we are used to bring the best of everything that happens around the world. So we what we are doing, what we are trying to do also in the international business community here, and also particularly the European Chamber, is, is listening to what the uh, industry is doing and saying in Europe. And, they, and it's true. I mean, there, there are other factors than just looking for maximizing returns that uh, are very relevant now for not only family uh, offices, but investors in general, which is how you make sure that you are complying with um, the new requirements from environmental, social, and governance that uh, uh, investors are, have to really look at. And then Europe has actually been, in, in the last years, pushing ahead with a regulation that is um, well-regarded and also observed from other places in the world. So we, by trying to bring also a little bit of our understanding of how that could actually help Hong Kong to be ahead of the game, we think that Hong Kong will keep a little bit of ahead of everybody else, right? Okay, Winnie Peng, can I ask you if you think the chief executive's target of 200 new family offices in the next few years, is that realistic? Well, I think it's a little bit too conservative. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thinking about uh, Singapore already attracts uh, over a thousand 
uh, family offices over the past few years. I think this number is actually very, very conservative. So well, my argument, again, come back to the family business. You know, Hong Kong have a lot of matured family businesses. Those are actually the engine for establishment of uh, family offices. You know, in 2012, there was estimates showing that there were about 100 single family offices in Asia and 90 of them actually were in Hong Kong. You know, so this is, but where did those family offices come from? In fact, from the, you know, family businesses. Okay, so, uh, you know, there's a, besides single family office, multi-family office, there's a third type of family offices people usually also ignore, which is called embedded family office. <laughs> this is exactly family business, you know. They use some of the, you know, the staffs in family business to manage the family wealth. But, uh, you know, you know, at certain uh, stage, you know, they will reach a bottleneck. So those uh, embedded family office need to be formalized to become the family, you know, the formal family office. And of course, you know, since uh, Hong Kong is so near to mainland China, we could definitely attract much more, you know, single family offices from mainland China as well. So is the model of the family office, uh, the, the way they're structured and run, is that becoming more, um, more accepted, more popular among, um, you know, uh, high net worth families? Are they sort of uh, uh, following that way to go now? Sure. Mm. Yes. So this is, uh, you know, wealth management industry already quite mature, but the family office is really rising up during the past uh, uh, decade, you know, the number of family office, single family office is really the 10 times than before. So it's a, definitely a trend and demand for setting up family offices mm -hmm. in this part of the world. Mm -hmm. Because they, they, they also um, handle uh, philanthropic activities as well and, uh, and charity giving and so on. Yes, of course. So, as I mentioned at the beginning, right, family office does not simply just manage money. If simply manage money, I would rather call it private investment company. Okay, family office, why it have family name there is really, you know, the top priorities manage family issues. Family issue wealth is only part of the family issues. Other things like family legacy, how to, pre you know, preserve the family legacy, family values through family philanthropy. Okay, through mm -hmm. other things, you know, impact investing, okay, through, uh, you know, uh, an art investment, art appreciation also could be another area of interest right. for families. We were already well. quite yeah. strong in art okay. appreciation. Yes. And, of course, I'm thinking uh, Adrian Chang himself is third generation of a, of a wealthy family, yes. so he, he should be exactly the right kind of person. To, to tell us what we need to do, what the administration you know, needs to I'm, do. Yeah, I'm very happy to see that uh, on the board of directors, eight people, right, on the board of directors, three of them actually with very strong family business background. If you look at the wealth management industry uh, institute in Singapore, the board of directors or board of trustees, Nicole, none of them actually with family background. All right. Okay, that should... We should be a, a greyhound in this race, then. Yes. Yes, yes definitely. <laughs>
Well, uh, well let's ask you, uh, uh, Winnie Peng, uh, we, you know, as I say, we often compare the advantages of uh, Hong Kong and uh, Singapore. What, uh, apart from our uh, proximity to and connections with mainland China, what, uh, what does Hong Kong have that Singapore does not? Okay, one thing I already mentioned several times is we have a strong foundation of uh, old wealth here. Because of that, we already have uh, a lot of expertise in this area, managing you know, the old wealth money and also the family issues. Yeah. Another thing is really philanthropy, you know, family philanthropy. The third thing that I want to really mention is really the Greater Bay Area concept. Yeah. Okay, so we're not simply just attract uh, money. I believe that we should attract more family business or business to really locate in Hong Kong or Greater Bay Area because the distance of um, business and money shouldn't be too, you know, too uh, far apart. Okay, in fact, when it's far apart, in fact, you know, lots of uh, inconveniences. So, uh, you know, it makes perfect sense for people to move there. The factory, okay, in this area, at the same time, generate cash or wealth for managing their personal wealth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, both of you, for joining us uh, on the program uh, this morning. That was uh, Winnie Peng, adjunct associate professor and director of the Roger King Center for Asian Family Business and Family Office at HKUST. And thanks very much to Inaki Amate, chairman of the European Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Secretary for Housing, Winnie Ho. Happy birthday to RTHK's 95th anniversary. 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 years. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. With Hong Kong. And joining us uh, for the last part uh, of this morning's programme, uh, we now have with us in our studio here in Kowloon Tong, Alex Jenkins, Director of Communications with the Hong Kong Golf Club. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Jim. Thanks very much uh, for joining us uh, again. So, um, obviously, uh, congratulations uh, on the weekend, uh, the golf club uh, staging the... Uh, 62nd uh, Hong Kong Open Tournament and uh, I was there myself yesterday everything seemed to be going pretty well It was a great week, yeah, uh, thank you Um, 62nd edition, we had to wait uh, nearly three and a half years to have the Hong Kong Open back Uh, but it was back and almost better than ever before you know, the weather was fantastic. We had a really thrilling finish uh, with three top golfers coming down the last and the crowds were out in force. There was, you know, tens of thousands of people out there. It was a great sight. Yes, in, well, including Jim and my wife, <laughs> but not me. I, but I did watch some of the key points. I was just... When the Thai golfer, I'm sure you can mm. pronounce his name better than me... Um, Kong uh, Watmai. Yeah, yeah, hit into the, the jungle... Uh, on the side of uh, the fairway. Was it the 15th That was 16th? the 16th hole, yeah. 16th hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just so exciting. Uh, yeah, that was uh, a pretty dramatic moment. He was uh, leading. He seemed to be cruising uh, through the tournament. He, he seemed to have it in the bag, and uh, one bad swing off the 16th tee, and he ends up in all sorts of trouble. Uh, they had a bit of time sort of thrashing out the situation. Mm-hmm. He ended up uh, taking a drop and, and trying to get out, uh, Anyway, he, he ended up making double bogey right. to lose his lead, and uh, that that really was the catalyst for a really. But then, finish. but then he got a birdie. That's and right. That, came yeah. back into yep. the joint lead. Yeah, absolutely. Now that it all contributed to a, a brilliant finish. Uh, Cam Smith 
the winner of the British Open, the Open Championship in 2022. He was right up there. He was the pre-event favourite. He uh, he must have thought that was his moment. Well, exactly, exactly. And then the rather unheralded uh, Ben Campbell uh, from New Zealand, he finished birdie, birdie on 17 and 18 to win by one, uh, draining a lovely mm-hmm. uh, putt on the final green in front of uh, Pat Grandstands and huge galleries. Yeah. It was a great finish from Ben Campbell, wasn't it? It was, it really was. I mean, he, he was a great amateur player in his youth. Uh, he suffered a lot with injuries after turning pro. He's been very unfortunate, in fact. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, he, you know, he spoke beautifully after his win. He was... Uh, you know, very level-headed, uh, and, and you know he he handled the pressure amazingly well, having never been in that situation before as a pro. Mm. Well, how big were the crowds? You talked, I, I, you talked to that. Yeah, uh, I haven't got the latest figures, but uh, we were over thirty thousand. Certainly for the week, yeah. That's up close to Rugby Sevens level. Yeah, uh, I think the Sevens, yeah, gets about 40,000 yep. uh, packed in the Hong Kong Stadium. So, yeah, we were uh, very pleased with the turnout. Saturday, the weather wasn't quite as good as it has been uh, Thursday, Friday, and obviously yesterday. But, uh, no, it, it was packed out there at Fan Lane yesterday, and it was uh, great to see. What about Future? Future opens. Future opens, yeah. Well, uh, this actually was the third big international event we've had uh, this year alone. We had World City Championship, uh, where I spoke to you last in March, uh, which was won by Taichi Ko. Uh, that was really a celebration event, you know, how, you know, to mark the end of COVID and welcome the return of international golf back to Hong Kong. Just last month, uh, in October, we had uh, the Aramco Team Series, a big international women's event featuring some of the best lady golfers in the world and obviously the Hong Kong Open. Now, uh, next year we can certainly get, we'll have the Hong Kong Open back again and, uh, yeah, an announcement will be uh, coming soon on another another very, very big <laughs> event uh, that we'll be staging in the early part of the year. So. I'm, I'm watching a director of communications who's got a secret which he's bursting to reveal, <laughs> but for various reasons can't at the moment. Well, I, I think an announcement is pretty forthcoming. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Okay. Okay, good. Well, that'll be good. Yeah. And, of course, um, apart from uh, the, you know, the top-quality uh, golf on show, uh, there's the, the Spectators' Village, there again i mean that's that's kind of a lot of fun for the family isn't Abs- it? absolutely and you know what uh you know the last few years especially over the last sort of 10 years or so we've really made a concerted effort to mm. put on a lot of non-golfing activities uh for you know families to come out enjoy themselves uh this week there was yoga we had the uh the, the rope rope skipping uh hong kong team which are who are world champions they came in and gave a couple of performances uh, we had a lot of sort of mini sports games. You know, it, it's just a nice place to come out, have uh, you know, have picnic on the on the grass, and uh, yeah, get involved in a, a lot of fun. But uh, one thing actually was really pleasing to see we we arranged for over a thousand children to come out from schools right across Hong Kong to get a bit of coaching into golf, get them a, an experience into the game. And uh, that was going to be my next question. Actually, the future of the game yep. in Hong Kong. What are we doing with schools? Well, we, we've long had uh, a schools program at the club up at Fanling where uh, uh, schools from the nearby areas, Shungshui and Fanling, uh, both primary and secondary, they come in for coaching on a weekly basis. We work with about 10 uh, to a dozen schools up there and uh, so much so that you know, it's proved very popular. It's, uh, golf has actually become part of the curriculum uh, for their school, their PE curriculum. Uh, but for the Hong Kong Open, um, yeah, we were, we were able to engage many schools, right, for, like I say, from right across Hong Kong. Uh, and, you know, the kids came out uh, and they were lovely to see, you know, getting involved in golf. And uh, to be honest, Hong Kong golf at the moment is really riding the crest of a wave. They're doing incredibly well. There's Tai Chi 
who's our club ambassador, he won a gold medal at the Asian Games uh, right at the end of September, which has obviously never been done before. Uh, and the men's team won bronze medal up there. Uh, but there's there's golfers of both sexes, you know, representing Hong Kong in you know in big amateur events and pro events all around the world. So. The future is very bright because uh, Hong Kong golfers really can show they can compete against uh, you know, some of the best players in the world. I think it's very important to have Tai Chi Ko out there because it's a bit of a disappointment for him this time around. But as you say, when you've got a local winning a gold medal in international competition, that tends to draw more interest in itself. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, he, he didn't play as well as I think he would have hoped, obviously. And uh, But he, you know, he, he was very, had a lot of activities going on this week. Uh, everybody wanted a, a piece of him, uh, you know, off, off the golf course. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's going to learn to deal with that going forward. I mean, the best players in the world have to do that on a weekly basis. Um, but we did have a lot to celebrate from a Hong Kong point of view. Uh, Matthew Chung finished as the top uh, Hong Kong player in uh, uh, he was 30th around. Uh, Jeffrey Shen, 20-year-old uh, amateur, he also made the cut very comfortably uh, and finished as low amateur. Uh, but we had a great story actually from the club in the sense that uh, our, one of our teaching pros, Brian O'Donovan, he made the cut as well and played the weekend, which is something that hasn't been done for many years. And uh, that was quite a, a truly outstanding achievement and uh, was very well uh, applauded by the galleries up at Upper Fanling. Are we, are we really selling golf now to the wider community? I think so. I think there's, as, I think there's more can be done, of course. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, certainly Hong Kong Golf Club, uh, you know, we, we, we're very accessible in terms of, uh, you know, being able to, you know, play golf, practice, uh, use, you know, use the club's facilities. But, of course, you know, that's what it is. Facilities, facilities we need, you know, as many as possible uh, to, uh, you know, encourage encourage the growth of the game here in Hong Kong right. and we- across Greater Bay. And actually on that point, uh, Tai Chi's win at the Asian Games really generated a lot of interest in China uh, around the Greater Bay area. We had a lot of media come down uh, from the mainland and we also had a lot of fans from around GBA coming in to the club to watch the action. So I think that really stimulated a lot of interest. It's, it's always a sort of a, a, an interesting mix in the crowd, you know, as well as uh, there's local people, expatriates. And I heard a lot of Mandarin being spoken this time as well. That's that's absolutely right. right. Yeah, no, that, quite right. And uh, typically I think, you know, uh, it's sort of upwards of 15, 20 percent of uh, attendants are, you know, non-Hong Kong people they're from from overseas there are a lot of singaporeans uh i know other people from southeast asia so i know it was, it, as you say it's a very good mix of uh, so this image of golf as being a, a retirement hobby for billionaires are we are we shedding that image oh absolutely you look at the people playing golf in hong kong now um you know, it's a, it's a young man's game or young women's game. You know, the number of uh, uh, young girls and boys you know taking up the game. It's it's a cool sport now, um, despite maybe it's rather conservative uh, reputation. Um, no, a lot of young people are playing. I mean, you look at Tai Chi. He's a 22. Actually, it's his birthday today, so we should wish him a happy birthday. Happy birthday, yes, 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 yeah. He's uh, 23 today, but he's he's young. He's super fit. You, you look at all these guys out there. You know, both boys. Mm-hmm. And girls, men and women playing professional golf, you have to be incredibly fit these days to keep up uh, with, with, with everyone else. And they do seem to be susceptible to certain injuries if they, if they go slightly off track. I mean, Tiger, of course, with his back 
and some of the others. That, well, that, that is right. Um, you know, Tiger's back is obviously, you know, the biggest one. But, uh, you know, Ben Campbell, the champion, he also suffered with a lot of back issues and had to adjust his swing as a result. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm not the expert on this, <laughs> these issues. I, I, uh, I can barely hit it out of my shadow. But certainly the, um, the, uh, the young guys go at it pretty hard, so they do have to uh, look after themselves. Just uh, switching things slightly, uh, uh, Alex, I should also take this opportunity to say uh, on behalf of Operation Santa Claus, that's the, uh, the annual charity that uh, RTHK Radio 3 organises with the South China Morning Post, uh, uh, thank you very much uh, to the golf club for your support for OSC because uh, uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, Cup of Kindness, the, uh, the club actually donated a million and a half dollars to the OSC cause. Um, and, uh, most of that goes to your designated uh, NGO, right, the Home of Loving Faithfulness, but some of it also goes into the, the general OSC uh, fund for the other 15, now 16, uh, NGOs that we're supporting this year. Uh, that's right, yeah, thank you, Jim. Um, yes, so 1.5 million was raised through our annual Cup of Kindness. Uh, it's our uh, annual charity event at the club. It's been going on since 1987, which I think is uh, the same... same uh, Longevity as, as Operation Santa Claus exactly, itself. Exactly, yes. Um, right, yeah. But uh, no, we were also very pleased that uh, OSC uh, was the official charity partner of the Hong Kong Open itself. And uh, I, I, I saw Operation Santa Claus, I had a booth in, in the fan village and there was some putting games that people could donate money to, to play. And, uh, and I know uh, money was, ra was raised through the program as well. Uh, so yeah, it was a, it was a great week and uh, yeah, we were delighted to work with uh, Operation Santa Claus. Uh, for this year and obviously going forward. You think the Open and the other activities uh, promoting golf have cemented the club's place in the community? I'd like to. I'd like to think so. I, I you know, uh, we, we uh, uh, the club. Uh, you know, there's a lot more than just golf that happens there. Um, you know, we're a venue to all sorts of sports, including cross country and woodball and all, all sorts of activities. And, you know, we have open days with, with regularity, get the kids out, enjoy the uh, the nature and learn more about the heritage. and the. Yeah, right. When I was out there, what struck me were two things. One was those very old tombs, which I think is extraordinary. It's a real piece of... National history. Well, uh, absolutely right. And we've just uh, we just had Chung Young, uh, you know, grave sweeping festival, and we had uh, many um, many of the uh, the families from the local villages coming out and uh, do the grave sweeping out on the golf course. The Baisan. Yeah. yeah the other thing absolutely. was the amazing trees. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if anyone's. Uh, someone must have done a proper inventory of them all. Yeah. There's uh, there's about sixty thousand trees. Uh, at, uh, on the golf courses, um, a great many of which are, are, are rare and very uh, old and very precious. Yes, and, in, in, and very old too. Um, uh, you know, they, we have a, a grove of incredibly uh, rare Chinese swamp cypress trees. Some of those are over 220 years old, so predating the golf course quite significantly. And the root system of some of those old banyans. It's just amazing. Oh, absolutely. You yeah, have, yeah. A, have a cricket pitch. <laughs> that, yeah, they're all under the fairways, yeah, crossing over, you know, huge, huge. OK. All right, well, uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, coming to the end uh, of this morning's uh, programme, uh, uh, that was uh, Alex Jenkins, Director of Communications at the Hong Kong Golf Club. Thank you, uh, Alex. Uh, thanks very much to uh, Mike Rouse, this morning's uh, guest presenter. Knew a uh, bit about the subject today. Yeah, we've got a new summary uh, coming up, followed by Brunch with Noreen.